0: Welcome to the Effective Engineering Manager podcast. In today's episode, Adam and Slava discuss effective ways to inspire, encourage innovation on any engineering team. Welcome to the Effective Engineering Manager podcast.
1: Hello, Adam. It's your time today. What would you like to talk about?
0: Hey, Slava. Today, we would like to get into how we as engineering managers can help inspire culture of innovation. And, you know, it's a good end of year episode because I think a lot of managers and leaders around this time are starting to think about, uh, you know, those future looking things for next year and how you're going to help catapult your respective teams uh, to build even bigger and better things. Um, and, and, And I think it's a really important aspect for managers to consider. I think it's also fundamental to, uh, to teams that the type of culture that's needed to support innovation, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on that topic?
1: I think it's a great topic because uh, the nature of the software development and, uh, uh, and, and hardware development as well is innovation. We continuously build uh, new stuff and uh, how good we are at innovation can be defining for the success of the business.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think that's the key thing. You know, as engineering managers, we are just as responsible, if not more, for helping the company, the organization, grow, innovate, and transform. You know, a lot of times we think, well, you know, product teams, the, the business-oriented areas of the organization, need to provide us the requirements the scope the you know the structure for what we do and we have to just go off and do it uh, but I, I actually think there's a sort of inward out mentality towards innovation that I think is is just as key you know as managers we we know or as engineering leaders I should say and our teams we know uh, what the tools that we have can do right we're, we're the experts on it um, and especially in in today when we are predominantly working in the cloud across cloud and and technology continuing to accelerate at a very fast pace and there's so many things out there and there there's so many areas to to dabble into and, and bring into your, your own product and services that um it, it really is up to the the leadership in, in engineering to uh, take a stance and start to try things and bring about that necessary change and innovation um, towards the, the team and the organization. And in my experience, when when you can do that effectively, you get the ear of the product teams, you get the ear of maybe even a lot of executives and, and leaders in your organization, because they see that you're trying and and maybe successfully connecting what you're doing as a team to something that is highly valuable for the company that they may not have thought of already.
1: Yep, um, this is good stuff. So uh, what do engineering managers uh, who want to innovate and who want to drive the team forward need to know about how to innovate?
0: The first thing I think an engineering manager needs to do is really solidify their own vision for the product and the platform. I think that is so critical and so key. Uh, what I mean by a vision is not necessarily where you want to take the product per se, and not really orthogonal to product needs, but complementary. Thinking about uh, what, you, you know, know, again, knowing the tooling and the, and the capabilities of your team, areas that you can strategically get into and be able to help generate, um, uh, you know, a, a high value output for the team. An example of this is, for example, let's talk cloud portability, right? Uh, in this day and age, you know, most, most customers um, and, and shops are working in the cloud, deploying to the cloud. And if you as a, as a engineering manager can help structure your team's output or, or the deliverables so that it can maximize its availability across different cloud providers and services And more importantly, in this day and age, really being able to partner with more and more of your potential customers or other businesses that are already, you know, positioned in certain providers and services and regions, you're going to be able to create and open up opportunities for your business that may not be there before. Um, You know, I know, for example, in retail space, you know, a lot of partners uh, and customers are, you know, very hesitant to want to make have any of their workflows running in aws because they feel amazon is a competitor to them um, and or some companies may already have established relationships in different in mark marketplaces with certain cloud providers you know oracle is known for that microsoft has that um in in these channels that you're already in and and if you can as a as a you know a service provider provide your services and platform in those particular areas you're going to open yourselves up to more customers so the point here is coming back to vision as an engineering manager you need to think about what it is that you what is your engineering vision for the product and how can you help push that forward Um, and again, it doesn't have to be identical, orthogonal to product vision. Uh, it should be far more granular, and it should be translated into something that your team can latch on to and, and and be motivated by, um, because I think that's just as important. So as an engineering manager, you know, you're not just there to take product requirements and ask your team to implement that that it's not just a one directional form of communication it's really about having this vision and say hey as a team here's our engineering goals and here's how they're going to relate to things that are going to enable the business so i think that's a the first one what, what are your thoughts Slava, on you know having an, a vision as an engineering manager
1: i think it's a great idea because uh, uh without a vision uh the team is going to be directionless and uh whatever they do whatever the team does uh, we wouldn't know whether we are going in the right direction or not. Essentially, we are going to be wandering, uh, uh, just wandering around instead of uh, going somewhere. And it's really not a comfortable position uh, because we want to we want to get somewhere somewhere when we do something. So I think it's critical to define a vision and uh, drive towards it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think once you have a vision, it can lead to the next step, which is innovation in structured experimentation. So what do I mean by that? Well, in order to be able to really dive into some of the areas in your your vision, you you really have to experiment, you have to encourage the team to try new things and and work kind of parallel to some of the product requirements. Uh, But at the same time, you don't really want innovation to just dominate everything because um, you still have things you have to deliver today. So it's that fine balance and diving into how you do innovation really can take multiple different forms. Uh, One and they're they're really both two ends of the spectrum. On one side, you can have like a very, very forced time period when the team can innovate. some companies do this like uh, you know at the beginning of the quarter the end of the quarter a uh, particular time of the year or it could be spread out in like, events like hackathons um, things that where everybody knows that is the time and the o- and, and all you should be working on at that p- particular time is innovation right new things nothing related to to product that's one end of the spectrum um, and it has its benefits the other side of the spectrum for innovation is uh, a far more iterative and it requires more discipline and maturity of the team but ultimately is 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 more long term and that is where you're sprinkling in innovation every every sprint every month um, but it's it's really tied in lockstep with the work that you're doing and so you're not stopping all product work you're you're doing much smaller component of innovation um, and where it may be one person on the team or a couple people during that sprint that are just working on the next micro milestone for the innovation piece and trying to get you know that closed and, and complete and so you can move on to the next thing and you know iterate um, the the one positive of that side um, other than sh- being streamlined is it minimizes the impact on downstream uh, teams QA operations and stuff right if, if you know Innovation is only as good as what you can get out there, and if and if it takes an army and a major <laughs> direction shift in, in priorities to get that out there, th- that's never going to be successful. So you really have to be um, uh, you have to be iterative there, regardless. Um, so those are kind of the two models on innovation. Uh, curious what your thoughts on on which model might be better, or or any thoughts on how you can do innovation uh, effectively as a manager.
1: Uh, Yes, I think uh, it's a really great uh, description of a spectrum of possibilities for engineering managers to look at when they think about innovation and they think about their vision, because uh, the vision is going to drive how the innovation approaches are going to be implemented. And I think one of the important things that need to be uh, kept in mind is uh, uh, how the business works and what kind of business the team has. And uh, I believe that both models uh, of uh, continuous slow burn innovation and uh, deliberate time-boxed, time-focused innovations work. And uh, it really depends on the uh, readiness of the business for for change. And I believe then that slow burn, uh, small step at a time. Something gets uh, done every sprint and delivered every sprint and something new continues to grow towards a particular uh, goal or an objective is great. And I think uh, it has a, its place uh, at, uh, uh, small, uh, at, at larger companies where uh, s- small incremental change is important because a small change means lesser disruption and less risks. Uh, And uh, this is usually characteristic of uh, 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 retail companies or uh, B2C companies that have uh, very non-technical customers, right? Uh, So it may also work for startups uh, because in startups, innovation like this happens every day and people don't even think that they're innovating by bringing new things and uh, making use of new technologies uh, or creating new things. So... That's basically for the for this uh, for the left side of this uh, spectrum, uh, s- slow burn, incremental uh, uh, innovation. Uh, that's that that's my thought on this one.
0: I think you bring up a really really valuable point about tying it to the business need and understanding your business, right? And and I think um, going back to vision. An engineering manager really can't set or can't be successful in their vision if they don't understand their business. And same thing with innovation. You, you really can't do that. I mean, I think we've all been in situations where, you know, we work with some bright engineers and maybe engineering teams, but they, they're not working on the right things. And you just feel that because they're not aligned to the type of business you're in. And, and that can create friction and that can certainly... Um, you know really not be great for the team as a whole because they're never going to get the the support and endorsement sponsorship that they need to to be able to continue to innovate so i think that's a really important one um, the next one that i would i would bring up is I- encouraging architectures that are um, cloud agnostic or portable and without getting too deep into that we'll save up for another uh, episode um, but I think as an engineering manager, you have to be aware of what's out there today and what, what is happening. Um, you know, it was just a few years ago where I think delivering services and, uh, you, know, um, you know, especially in the cloud that were, you know, uh, four nines of availability was was kind of like a bonus. It was kind of like, oh, wow, you, could, you know, you could, it's not, not mandatory yet, but that's great that you can do it now. Uh, it's it's if you don't have that, you're, you're really not going to get a lot of business. You're not going to get a lot of support, right? Um, and you're certainly not going to get a lot of support if um, if if you're not really able to be flexible within this the this cloud services that you're you're working through. Um, you know, if you're not able to keep up with industry trends and and ways of deploying services. You know, for example, not many people are deploying. Non-containerized versions of software today, right? And 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 the whole downstream systems that come with the orchestration and and uh, and monitoring and all that kind of stuff and, and scaling. If you're still deploying, you know, your uh, your binary to a, to a server uh, or, or a virtual machine of some kind, um, you know, you're probably behind the curve, and it's going to be hard to to get the penetration that you want. So I think really understanding those trends and really encouraging the the team to think about that constantly. Um, you know, engineers have gotten really used to just throwing things out there in the cloud today because it's easy and getting their work done. But does it, is it really something that is flexible and portable and uh, reusable in in other things? And as you mentioned, whether you're B two C or B two B or or whatever your business model is, at some point you're going to have to have some kind of integration with 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 something else, and that something else is going to bring Uh, some requirements that you better be able to uh, respond to quickly. So I think that's a really important one um, in encouraging a culture of uh, how you do architecture.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's a good point. And uh, I think what it leads uh, is uh, if we want to be cloud agnostic, and I would put as much as possible uh, because becoming a fully cloud agnostic is, I imagine theoretically would be possible, but... uh, there, there are going to be lots of uh, levels of uh, abstraction, and might be, there might be might be some maybe necessary engineering work to make it happen. But I think a fundamental, uh, fundamental rule uh, is that we have to think about infrastructure as a code, where what we have built uh, for using a particular. Uh, cloud providers, especially especially public uh, cloud providers like AWS, Azure, uh, Google Cloud, and all the good stuff. Um, uh, infrastructure as a code forces us to think about the infrastructure as an abstraction, uh, and that abstraction is uh, not always uh, that that uh, those infrastructures are not fully abstract, right? Because you just cannot cut and paste this particular piece of infrastructure as a code and run it unchanged in a completely different cloud provider. They may have different APIs, different services, different uh, structures, approaches to security law and all the good stuff. But I think if we build our infrastructure as a code in form of reusable modules that work everywhere and then maybe having parts which are uh, specific to a particular uh, uh, cloud provider that would help a lot. And I, I believe that we should be doing this from the very beginning. It's unfortunately it's not a thing for many companies still, even you know existing companies, new companies. Uh, but as a policy, I think it would help a lot to think that what you are building is a code that is going to run somewhere rather that it's a code that's going to run on this particular machine which is essentially any cloud provider is it's a large scale um, uh, systems uh, system that you're go- that's going to run your stuff so uh so long story short i would say uh, think infrastructure as a code earlier and if you haven't done so start thinking about it now and try to modularize uh, your infrastructure as a code as much as you can, and abstract uh, reusable parts and abstract uh, specialized parts. And I think actually there's this old, very old uh, uh, Gang of Four uh, uh, pattern uh, which is called um, strategy, right? Which, which basically says things which are gonna be running the same everywhere are gonna be coded up and the methods which are not going to be that they're going to be specific to a particular implementation will have to be implemented in a specialized way that's that's my thought on uh, multi-cloud strategies
0: yeah and and i think um i think you're right and definitely infrastructure is code upfront, and you know we I presume a lot of teams these days are, are are already trying to think of that, but I think the, the the key, and I think you kind of alluded to this, is that it's not always um, it's not always just easy to do in implementation, you know, practicality. And I think that's where a a strong engineering leader comes into play and is helped able to help guide guide the team through that and when to embrace that, when to um not get too hamstrung on any one particular thing one particular thing because at the end of the day you still need to be productive, but uh, you may have to still iterate. and that leads me to the next point. uh iteration. So we talked about iteration in the context of 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 innovation, but just more generically, iteration as a key to everything you do um, really inspires and I think keeps the teams excited, fresh. And, and creates that feedback loop. Um, and what I mean by that is, I mean, if you ask my team uh, today, for example, you know, one of the th- what is the one thing that, that I'm always telling them anytime they either face a problem or, or they um, are trying to solve something new or, um, or just doing everyday stuff? Uh, I always tell, you know, iterate. How do you break this problem down or situation down into smaller, more granular things? And always thinking about that, I think, is a really key thing. Because, again, as an, as an engineering leader to be effective, you're always going to have to, um, you're always going to have to guide your team. You're always going to have to guide and manage upwards. We've talked about that before, and you can't do that effectively when you've got one big thing just hanging out there that has never been completed. But you can, if you can show a handful of incremental things that have been done over the course of you know a fixed period of time, uh, you're going to be far more successful. And, it, and the key of it all is you don't have to be done in the, in the way that you would want to be done. You have to have quality. But you don't have to be 100% feature complete. You don't have to be 100% all these things. You have to just, you know, be consistent and and keep chipping away at it. And I think that's, that's really key.
1: Right. Um, I agree. Uh, this is good stuff. And uh, uh, one of the things which is uh, you and I, we discussed before was... Uh, um, knowing when you are done, right? Because what we want uh, as managers to avoid is the team which is continuously innovating and continuously not delivering anything, right? And as old you know, all, all saying goes, if you are innovating all the time when you're working. And uh, it, it means that uh, as managers, we have to uh, define uh, ownership in form of uh, what is the objective, how does the end result look like, and how will the result gonna be measured when it's done and when it's running in production. And I think it's fundamental to assess that iterations against that end result to make it work.
0: Oh, absolutely, and, and I and that leads me to to I think our last point here, which is um, building a service-oriented, uh, a service management-oriented approach to uh, how you guide your teams. And what what I mean by that is we've all heard the term service ownership, building a culture of service ownership. But what that really I think means is metrics and all empirical data is important for encouraging people. To your engineers to know when they may be done, or when at least they built enough quality into it. But it's not enough when you uh, you don't want people just to stop understanding and 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 reviewing and monitoring how things are actually working, right? It's not enough just to commit code and just pass all your checks and then walk away from it. You have to be able to be engaged in the process. You have to be engaged in the deployment. You have to be engaged in post-deployment and monitoring and, and watching things. And you know, I tell my engineers every day, first thing you do when you come in, and you turn on your laptop is to, you know, find your KPIs and look at them and say, how did we perform over the past 24 hours? And if you're doing that regularly, you, you're building, you know, you're, you're getting bits of information and knowledge and you're saying, oh, this is how the system is actually working. And and this is what's actually happening. And you can make better decisions in the long run. It, again, it feeds that culture of innovation. It feeds that spirit of the vision that you're trying to instill. So service ownership or or service minded Uh, orientation towards how you manage and and operate as a team is very
1: key good stuff Um, i agree and uh, um, speaking of uh, iterative innovation i think uh, the service oriented architecture and uh, uh, particularly as an implementation of this uh, paradigm uh, microservices is fundamental because working on a service which is responsible for a single piece of functionality and iterating on it is much easier and much more stable and reliable compared to when you are working on monoliths because when you are working as a team on a monolith multiple things are getting piled in then stuff gets released something breaks and then it takes a a ginormous amount of time to figure out what happened or you end up with rollbacks right with microservices especially when the engineering process is uh, correctly orchestrated, where dependencies are tracked, and when microservices uh, get released, they don't break. It's essentially, microservices need to be uh, backwards compatible always, and it's fairly easy to implement. For example, through API versioning and stuff like this, right? And but this is uh, this is the iterative uh, uh, iterative innovation. And another thing that uh, you and I were discussing be- before this uh, before this uh, podcast is uh, uh, I would call it uh, uh, discontinuous innovation. You called it uh, uh, big bang, uh, time box innovation, and you can you can call it many times. I mean, different companies call them uh, uh, innovation sprints. They, those can be uh, hackathons. Uh, and then I even heard about hack a month, uh, which is which means that once a year teams uh, uh, get together and uh, build new stuff, and I think it's it's, it's pretty much the opposite of uh, what we just uh, discussed. But I also believe that uh, there is a value in that as well because with continuous iterative innovation, uh, things are gonna get into customer hands when the entire thing has been. Uh, envisioned, built, and delivered, it takes time. Sometimes it takes months, sometimes it can take years to get to that uh, ideal uh, uh, division of the uh, new thing, right? And I believe that uh, this discontinuous time-boxed innovation can work for things which don't exist. And if the team has a goal and has an objective of Making the things appear into the reality and uh, creating the thing from zero to exists and maybe even ready to go, if, if the team is great, ready to go to production has its benefit because the time needed to uh, iterate, to discuss, to review, to test, to keep going can be shrunk significantly. And also, uh, it creates a space for the teams to think only about this uh, new thing that they they would like to create. What do you think?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that ties in 100%. Um, I think that whatever model you end up choosing for innovation, um, at the end of the day, as a, you know, it really comes down to is why we do this podcast, right? It's the engineering manager's responsibility to set the tone for all these things, um, and to, you know, guide experimentation in, in the right direction. To maybe sometimes pause experimentation when it's kind of going tangential to what you really want, um, and 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 also when it's not contributing to the the team's culture that you want and that again coming back to vision so 100 agree on all of those
1: so adam uh this is uh good stuff so uh if you had to uh, summarize what we discussed and give our listeners uh, a meaningful uh checklist uh for those engineering managers who would like to bring practical innovation to their teams uh, what would you recommend? Sure. So, for bringing
0: practical innovation to the teams and being successful in it, first thing as an engineering manager, create and establish a vision for the product or the platform that you own. Again, it doesn't have to be the same as the product vision, it's just not a rehash of that. It's much more granular and engineering driven. Second one, create a culture of innovation and structured experimentation. Um, and the, the goal there is structured. So, create Structure where it most suits your, your business, your organizational goals and needs and culture uh, and aligns with things that you can do that deliver true ROI. Third is encourage and continue to encourage architectures that are portable, cloud portable, cloud agnostic uh, and enable you to really take advantage of the ability to transform your business from the inside out. Fourth one is being iterative in everything you do and knowing when to put the pens, pen down or put the keyboard down, stop, you know, close that, put a bow on it and then come back with the next iteration and, and being really adept at that and understanding that, that really translates very positively to how you communicate upwards and showing success and progress. Last is creating a culture around service ownership and especially over just metrics based Uh, metrics are important it helps but service ownership is a is is kind of the next layer of that like really encouraging the team to own everything they they do through to production continue to do that daily and continue to feed that back in because that's going to be another avenue for you to continue to innovate and build on top of what you have
1: thank you adam Uh, that was
0: good stuff thank you slava We encourage all our listeners to get in touch with us via email or on the web. You can find our website at www.effectiveem.com, our LinkedIn group, or feel free to leave a review wherever you're consuming this podcast. Until next time, thank you so much.